Hello and welcome to the second episode of the 905 podcast, a new podcast looking at the uh, GTA region outside central Toronto. My name is Roland Tanner and I'm here with my co-host uh, John McLeod. Uh, Hello. This week, uh, the big story in the news is uh, the Ontario government came out on Thursday, right before a, uh, a long weekend, with its plans for the return to school of students in September at the high schools and primary schools. And we know certainly, certainly you, Joel, as a, as a parent with two young children, um, have a huge number of questions about how this is going to work. Um, so we invited on a, uh, a teacher from Halton District School Board um, who recently retired but uh, was a senior teacher in our region. And uh, this is our conversation with her. Okay, well, I'd like to uh, welcome Cindy Cosentino, who's the first guest on the 905 podcast. Cindy has recently retired as a, a teacher in uh, for the Horton District School Board uh, after 32 years of, of teaching both in Halton and in Hamilton, and as an elementary teacher and also a secondary teacher in science and math. Um, she worked as an education officer at the Ministry of Education and has been a program leader in Halton for the last 10 years. Purely coincidentally, um, she retired um, uh, just before COVID hit, um, but uh, is uh, extremely knowledgeable and experienced and brings to the table the kind of perspective of a frontline teacher. Um, I should mention that uh, I, I know Cindy, because she lent me a hand, as did her son Chris, uh, in 2018 when I ran for municipal council here in Burlington. Um, but uh, I thought she would be a terrific guest, uh, given she brings really that independent view and isn't representing either the kind of necessarily the union perspective or the uh, school board perspective or a government perspective. And I think that's really important that we have that when discussing the plans that are happening right now. So, Cindy, obviously the, the government um, announced on Thursday their plans for return to school in September. What were your, what are your initial feelings about, about the, what they're proposing? I think um, when I saw the plan, particularly the elementary plan for a full cohort, full day, I was puzzled that in all of the uh, work we've been doing as a community to try and deal with this virus. We know what the rules are. We know what we're supposed to be doing, six feet apart, stay masked, stay outside, all of the guidelines that we've been given. And this flies in the face of many of them. And my, you know, I, I know I'm not going back into a classroom in September and won't have to be in that position. But my initial reaction was a great deal of concern for my, the colleagues that I've left behind who will be uh, facing this and the families of the students who will be in school, um, they will also be impacted. And, and just generally what we're looking at in September, October, um, if this experiment, because I do feel like it is an experiment, if it doesn't go well. Yeah, and just to, to sort of uh, uh, give the background to anybody listening who, who's, who, who, like me, doesn't have children in the system or, or it doesn't work at the school, I mean, I guess so the plan is, if I understand right, that the younger children will go up to grade eight, so not actually that young, will go five days a week, um, like normal, basically. Yeah. 
and then the the high school uh, children will be uh, kind of rotated in some way. Um, so yeah, it certainly occurs to me, you know, how how do you keep social distance with young children when when you've got what 30, 30 35 in a class? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I, my question to you, Cindy, is if if you were going back, like what would you be doing now to try and prepare uh, your classroom and your teaching style for that reality? Because um, I, well, I, I can't. Yeah, I can speak to secondary on that because um, that that's the the realm I was in when I uh, retired and left at the end of June, and that's part of the challenge is that it really has been a moving target and. The teachers, how you teach fully online versus how you teach face-to-face versus how you teach in a blended model are all very different and require very different preparation. Mm-hmm. And so even knowing where to start, I mean, just finding this plan out now, four weeks before school starts, even that has been very stressful and challenging for people because teachers do spend a lot of time over the summer planning. And especially this summer, I think a lot of them um, are trying to get ahead of their planning so that they're ready for whatever comes at them and they didn't know what they were facing. So it's been extremely difficult to even prepare. And, and understandably, I mean, that's the, um, that's the thing that needs to be said. Nobody knows how to do this. This is not, it's not like there is a right way to do this and there's someone with that answer and, and they're just withholding it, but there's been a lot of, you know, a lack of direction from the ministry in terms of and very delayed answers to things. Well, on, on that note, um, are you still in touch with uh, your former your former colleagues in the board? Oh yes, yeah. And what are they saying about this situation? There's a lot of anxiety, and I don't want to speak on their behalf, but I, I can say that they're very concerned. They have um, I have friends who are very aware of the fact. I mean, one of the um, pieces of data I saw on the ministry website that they were, they were trying to limit contacts to 50 people mm-hmm. in elementary and 100 in secondary. I haven't had contact with more than four or five people for five months. And now all of a sudden I'm going to, if I were going back, I'd be in contact with between 50 and 100 students and other staff, which means if I have elderly parents, I can no longer see them. If I have people I am supporting at home who are vulnerable at home, I'm going to be put in a difficult position. Right. It, it just changes the entire dynamic on a very personal level. Um, well, so well, I think what I'm seeing is fear, a lot of fear. I, I don't, I, I can understand what it seems to me is because uh, I, I mean, here at home, I have a, I have a child in elementary uh, grades and we've been looking at the, trying to do the math in our heads over this. And we, we just say that the, the social circle guidelines that came down over the summer uh, just pretty much have to be thrown out the door because uh, I don't see how you can maintain those that t- social circle of 10 people and st- still send your child to school uh, and then say, yes, we'll maintain the social circle distancing rules uh, outside of the school hours. I mean, that pretty much you're, you're now, your school community is now your social circle, like it or not. Yes. And, and I know even from the challenge, I think the bubbling concept has been difficult anyways. Right. <laughs> I've yes, heard a lot obviously. of yes. understanding what a bubble is and, you know, you're exclusive once you're in a bubble and, and you trust that the people in your bubble are going to honor that. Right. Now you're trusting that 50 to 100 people are going to honor that and follow the rules. And 
I mean, even allowing extracurriculars in secondary sports and clubs where social distancing is possible. Well, that's again, there you mix it up again. That's not the cohort. Well, I mean, let's just let's just look at that number though. That fifty to a hundred person limit at any, as you said, at the secondary school level. Uh, How is that even possible? Because most of the high schools built are built with the capacity of a thousand, in some cases, a thousand plus students. Uh, in regular attendance, and even with the uh, you know the the cohorting that they're suggesting, um, you know if that, the idea is half that, um, half that number is you know five hundred, maybe seven hundred and fifty students in some cases. It is in your mind is that pr- is it practical to say that you can limit contact to one hundred people inside a, uh, an Ontario high school? I think people are going, and this is again a, a fascinating challenge. Um, purely watching this now from the outside, how do people are not at work right now and you have to retimetable your entire school and timetabling is a process that is extremely time consuming and hours and hours and hours go into timetabling. Now you've got to timetable for students who are staying home, students who are coming in, and I think it is possible to cohort the students. So you have staggered entry, separated areas of the school, but to do that in four weeks and to be ready to go when school starts, I, I, I honestly don't know how they will accomplish that. I know the people I work with, if anyone will accomplish it, it will be the administrators and the teachers I worked with at home. Um, but I can't even imagine the hours that will go into that. It's kind of, I think they'll be building the, plane as it's flying, honestly, that that analogy of we're figuring this out as we go, which is a very unnerving way to do business when it's something this scary. Well, also, you had, well, since, I'll I'll say probably since April to kind of come up with an alternative, Um, because that's the sense that I'm hearing from parents is that we wasted um, pretty much the months of April, May, June, and July uh, to come up with an alternative, uh, that, that parents were looking at the fall as something new might be, need to be in place, but we, we didn't come up with that alternative. Do you, do you, would you say that that's a fair assessment? Uh, it is and it isn't. I mean, the reality with COVID is that the science is changing. I think of, it's easy to forget where we were in March and April. We thought contact, uh, was a huge way of transmission. And I think science is showing that that is not as, I mean, I remember washing my groceries and, and yes, hand washing is important, but it's not quite the, the method of transmission that we feared it was at the beginning. It's turning out that it's more airborne. It's it's what's happening in closed spaces. It's why outside is okay right now and inside is not. Uh, so I think to be fair to everyone, we didn't really understand the disease. We still don't really have a good handle on it. So the plans have to be flexible. They have to change. But we know enough now to know that 30 kids in a classroom is not a good idea. I did not see ventilation mentioned anywhere in anything. from the well, Actually, that's, that's something that you can speak to just because I know from having spoken to you know, a number of teachers over the years that the, uh, the, the, the standards, the building standards of some of our schools is not great. You know, just like you say, ventilation, things like windows that open, um, which sounds so rudimentary, but uh, what um, 
what do you feel that, I mean, from your knowledge of the kind of school buildings, what, what do you feel the challenges are there? Oh, I, I, there are classrooms that don't have windows. Like that, the rooms were built without windows. So there are no windows to open. And I would hazard a guess that the ventilation has not been measured or checked in a very long time. There just simply isn't money provided for that kind of uh, work. So I, yeah, I would not feel confident that a classroom, the ventilation in a classroom, and even in a well-ventilated classroom, it's, it's, you have to look at viral load. How long are you in there? How many people are in there? And how long are you breathing the same air? What's, it's a very technical thing to look at the circulation of air and uh, what you're being exposed to. Is that going to happen in every classroom in Ontario? It's not even being mentioned. There is no, not a single mention of upgrades to ventilation systems. Well, the you, open. <laughs> yeah, well, and I know I just I always mention this because the more people know this, the better. But just about every teacher I've ever spoken to, um, when you say what single thing would improve improve your lifestyle, it's like air conditioning. <laughs> uh, and but I mean, just, it, that's a, that's not a COVID related thing necessarily, but it, it speaks to the kind of lack of. Um, you know, these schools, some of these schools were built quite a long time ago that, and then they're not really set up for handling what we need them to handle. No. Um, the other thought I had was, you know, why, and it's not really a question that, that, that that's for you to answer, but I'll ask you anyway. Um, why is it that we're saying young children can go back five days a week and, and just have the regular class sizes of 30 up uh, and then other children can't. I mean, what, why do you think the government made that distinction? Um, my cynical brain would say it's because that takes older children are able to take care of themselves if they're learning from home. Younger children need someone to watch them. So I believe it's um, to help parents get back to work. And again, that's an important consideration. Uh, you know, I've, um, conversations with parents, I know how challenging for the self-employed, for the single parent, for there are so many people who this has been an extremely challenging time to get through with kids at home. And even if you're, if you, if you were lucky enough to work from home with your children there while they're trying to do school, it's, ex, it's all, it's been hard. It's been tough. My kids are grown. I, I didn't have to deal with that, but I've heard the stories. So I understand why it is an absolutely high priority for that to happen. But yeah. I, I wonder if there were ways to make that happen more safely if there had been more money spent. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, is a decision being made, I guess the question would be, is a decision being made basically for economic reasons that we need to get people back to work or or for public health reasons or for education reasons? And uh, um it's certainly, yeah, I think it's a very valid question to ask. It feels like it, it's economic. And I, I do, we talk about that kids need school. And again, I appreciate that. I know their mental health has been suffering. I know it's, um, they're lonely. They need the activity. But it's not going to, well, it might look more like normal than we thought. But I, I wonder about the, the trauma of going back for two weeks and then all of a sudden people are sick and you're back at home. And it's scary. Like, I, I don't know what this will look like. Nobody does. But this does not feel like the most measured approach that could have been taken for elementary. 
Um, Cindy, one of the criticisms that I, I read and I, I've heard is that there's just a lack of voices at the table, it seems, when, they, when the government came up with this, uh, this plan. Um, do, would, you, would you think that as a, if there were teacher unions or more teachers were invited to sit at the planning table, that a different plan would have, would have been tabled instead? Yes, I do, because I, there are a lot of little nuances and details. Like one of the things I'm wondering about, for instance, in elementary, apart from the teaching, I mean, there's a reason I have not been in a restaurant in five months and will not go now until I feel more comfortable that it's being done safely. Mm-hmm. But they say eating in a room with people in a closed space is one of the most hazardous things you can do. Where are these kids eating lunch? Right. How far apart will they be? Who is supervising that? Because currently, from my the best of my knowledge and memory, it's you had older kids who would patrol the hallways, be the lunchroom monitors. You didn't have adults in the classroom necessarily. Um, maybe that's changed since I was in elementary. But the teachers have a lunch break too. And if this is a regular, air quote, regular school day, how is lunch being handled safely? Because lunchtime, the masks are off, they're chewing, they're talking more loudly. It's a lot less controlled. So that's one of those things that you don't really think about until you've been in a lunchroom with grade sevens and you've experienced that. that, Well, well, I can't even imagine if you get into like the grade three, four, five, uh, where you try asking that age of children to sit down politely at a, at a small desk for, uh, for half an hour. Uh, Good luck to you. And I mean, I, I, my kids went through the, the system. I remember the st- they were lunchroom monitors and they were the students sitting in the lunchroom and the stories. I mean, it's, it can well, the, be a little bit of organized chaos. So well, how other, do you do that? Well, the other, the other uh, hazard, I'm, if I recall, is they're, they're limiting how many bo- uh, outside bodies are allowed in the schools. Like, I don't believe they're going to allow lunchtime monitors or, or volunteers to go into the schools like they did before. I know that my child's school, they would have volunteers, parent volunteers sign up for, you know, the, the, the fundraisers and the, the, uh, the extracurricular activities and the hall room or, or sorry, the school room uh, monitoring and the, and the, and the playground monitoring and, and things like that to give teachers a bit of a break for their lunches and for their planning periods and, and whatnot. But my understanding is those, those volunteers are not going to be, invited back due to safety concerns. And I'm wondering like, that must be a huge wrench in the plan uh, from a teacher perspective. Well, that and the the whole idea of supply teachers, I I can only imagine how badly we'll need supply teachers if people are staying home, even at the first sign of anything as we head in, like, even if it's not COVID, if you've got a sniffle or a fever, you're staying home. So if you're a supply teacher and you're in a school and then that school has a case, are you then off work for two weeks because you have to isolate and are you paid? Because supply teachers are usually only paid. Does this use up the teacher's sick days? There's been no answers to a lot of those questions. Well, that's one of the questions Uh, that Roland Roland and I were discussing offline was um, say, okay, so we we send all the kids back uh, to a regular routine. Uh, what happens if a teacher contracts COVID nineteen? Um, what what happens if they if they come out with a test and they say, yeah, I tested positive. Okay, they go home for two weeks, but if that teacher calls into the the administration that day and says, I tested positive, I need to stay home, find somebody to come in for two weeks. Uh, is is the you know would, would the system be set up to handle that? Well, and further to that, if you have if there are fifty contacts. 
right. for that teacher in the school. Does that mean all 50 of those contacts right. need to stay home? Because that's generally what's happening. If you're in touch with someone who's diagnosed as having COVID, you are in isolation for two weeks. So how do you manage that? I mean, in, I know in the schools in the states where this has happened, the schools are shut down fairly quickly because you just can't. It's very challenging to track those um, contacts realistically in a school. So, yeah, I don't know that we would have the capacity to do that. And I know that they say they're hiring extra teachers, but it's not the number of extra teachers that we need to cover who knows what kind of absentee rate we're going to be looking at. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when it just the, the practicalities of, of one person catching it, we're effectively, you know, effectively everybody in that class is now your family. Yes. One person catches it. You all need to isolate now. Well, okay. So that's just driven a coach and horses to at least one class. Well, what about some of those children talk to some of the children, in other classes? Well, now you've got to take that class out too. I mean, it just spirals very, very quickly. It seems yeah. to me. Yeah. And then, the, the science is suggesting that kids may not generally get sick, but they certainly get infected and they right. spread. So it will be very silent at the child level because we won't know they have it. But it's once it starts popping up in the adults where you know you have a problem. And again, there, I think there was an article in the um, in, on in Forbes that's a new study that's out about kids spreading. And it's again, the science is so new that we don't really know. We have no idea conclusively what this looks like in kids and how really it spreads in kids. Well, and there has been some, again, you know, very early, but there, ha there have been some reports of, and I can't remember the name of the condition. I should go and look it up on Wikipedia, but uh, a particular reaction that, that seems to affect some children that, that is particularly nasty uh, and with long, potentially long-term effects. Um, so you're, yeah, you're to an extent you, we're experimenting with 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 children, <laughs> uh, and not to mention the rest of us. I wonder about. I mean, I think I know the Ministry of Labor protects employees and, and PPE. They say medical grade masks are being provided to, to to teachers, but I don't believe that means N95. I believe that means the, like the, the paper mask coverings that, right. um, that you can buy. So if a teacher comes down with this and there, the estimates are that you can get quite ill for this from a longer period of time than just the initial sickness. There are significant health uh, repercussions that come later. So what does that look like from an LTD or long-term disability perspective or how then it, there are so many repercussions from that. Uh, teachers have been told that if they aren't able to work, they will be accommodated, but what's the criteria for not being able to work? Do you have to, is there certain conditions that are, okay, you stay home and others that are not, if you have, if you have elderly parents, is that enough? Like we, we don't even know what the criteria are for you can be, stay home. And what if half the teachers want to stay home? I think it would be interesting to hear um, from the union perspective, both the, uh, the Catholic and the, uh, from Electa as well as uh, ETFO and OSSTF, uh, there are perspectives on the con these concerns because I'll be honest, Cindy, I never thought about this until you just raised them. I, I did not think with the long-term disability potential uh, that that could affect teachers if they're if they're contracted, they can recover. But you're right, we're hearing about uh, shortness of breath and liver liver complications uh, due to COVID nineteen, and I, I never thought about that. But you're right, that's it. That might be a question for another 
union negotiation contract talk down the road between the government and the unions, which, well, last time we went through that wasn't such a great uh, experience for the province. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was quite a horrific experience for the province. So. And, and just the fact that teachers... The fact that teachers are being asked to do this with four weeks' notice, as you say, you know, like really very, you know, I'm still in the mode of thinking September's a long way away. It's right around the corner. Um, and the, the this was basically, you know, I spoke to a, a trustee the other day. Um, they had no real, you know, they were learning at the same time as the rest of us what was kind of being suggested and, and had no answers to the, had no more answers to these questions than, than we do. So it's just being kind of dropped from on high. And I, I guess to an extent this, this goes to the, the way that um, this government has, this provincial government has kind of operated since uh, day one, uh, that it tends not to consult. And I think that's a fair criticism to make, um, you know, uh, but things like this, it's like you got to, speak to people you've got to find out the people who are actually in the room uh, how this is going to uh, work out yes and but i think the reality is they were very aware of the fact that it would be incredibly expensive to do this um but, i mean apart from just the busing all the kids on the bus we don't how do you how do you bus all of those students if you're staggering the busing and spreading them out appropriately on the busing so that there are so many it's, it's a very expensive proposition and I, I get that, but I wonder if the repercussions of this, I'm picturing, I mean, you go to a, if you have a summer camp where 75% of the kids test positive after two weeks and all of those kids, so maybe it's not that high, maybe it's 25%. So 25% go home. They're being babysat after school by grandparents or their, their own parents are there. They have siblings. How quickly do, are we right back where we were in March and April? Um, I just, it feels very, apart from the teacher risk, it feels very um, dangerous and it's a little frustrating that this could be the thing that turns the clock back for us after so much work and so much effort to get to where we are. And we're still not through it by any stretch, but that it could be taken backwards so quickly. On, on, that, on that note, um, if we do get this, the infamous second wave that everyone is saying we are going to be getting... And we do end up having to go back into lockdown, worst case scenario. Uh, your experience, uh, Cindy, with going into the distance learning, the, the online learning, how, A, how quickly were you able to get set up for that? And B, uh, what did you like or not like about it? Uh, I think teachers will be much better prepared for that this time. Um, there, there were a lot of teachers, elementary and secondary, who had never taught online. And it, it's an an entirely new skill set. And I, I put myself in that category because much as I would have meetings and whatnot online, teaching students and all of the privacy considerations and all of the limitations about what you are and are not allowed to use in terms of apps. And it was a huge learning curve. So the hours and hours and hours that I know people spent trying to pivot to that, I think will serve them well when they go back because they will be that much better prepared. And I do think people are, I think they have expected that while we might be back face to face, even in, you know, May, June, we were saying we'll be back face to face, but it will probably at some point in some areas be back online at 
you know, it's, it's just to be expected. So I believe people are planning for that. And I think we'll be in a better position for that. There is a concern about equity because what really was brought to light through all of this for the teachers with it was that their students do not have equitable access to technology, to quiet spaces to learn, to um, access to materials, to Wi-Fi, to, to things that some people take for granted. And it was surprising for people to hear what was not available to many students. So how do you do that? How do you support students who are in that situation? Um, the difference will be last year it was the mark stand as of March 13th in secondary, your mark is your mark. That will not be the case in September. Right. right. So that will be a different dynamic that I think will change student engagement. And uh, I think we were all a little bit in shock or a lot in shock in March and April. Um, we, that, that has passed. We're, this is the new normal. And I think people are, you know, they've, they've learned to adjust to this. So Hey, well, thank you so much, Cindy, for uh, for speaking with us today. Uh, I suspect we could go on for another half an hour here, <laughs> quite easily. But we, uh, but uh, it's, I think your experience is enormously valuable to hear, and um, so many questions, to say the least, that haven't been answered yet, um, that that really need to be answered very quickly, if we, if we're going to do this right at all, and if this plan such as it is, is going to be uh, put into effect. Uh, so thank you again. And um, uh, we're hoping certainly to speak to uh, sort of other, um, I guess the word is stakeholders in, in, the, in, the, in the process in, in the weeks ahead. But thanks so much for, for giving us uh, perhaps the most important perspective, which is of uh, the people who are actually going to be in the classrooms. Oh, my pleasure. Well, that was great. As our first interview on the 9 to 5 podcast, uh, what, what do you think, Joel? Um, well, it was very informative. I, I thought that we, I, th I think the general consensus is we're having more questions being asked than we're getting answers uh, over this whole reopening. Um, I, th I thought Cindy brought up a few points that I honestly had not even considered. Uh, but again, just makes us ask more questions and needing more answers that this really can't be done kind of at the last minute, which I think this consensus is from parents and apparently as well from teachers is that that's what the approach is uh, from the provincial government. It seems to me, I mean, obviously I, I have less skin in this game than, than, than many people. Uh, it seems to me that, that, you know, something of this level of complexity, they've just said, okay, well, we need to go back now. So back we go. Um, we'll, We'll make do with some masks and uh, for those that can wear them and the way we go. And it, it just seems so incredibly kind of superficial. Well, it kind of, I mean, it, it, it just seems like we just kind of gave up on any rules or guidelines that we had been putting in place for the last six months now. Uh, my numbers might be off that one. Uh, but I mean, it, it's kind of like to say, look, maybe we could, didn't even need to shut down the schools in the first place. Just could have told everyone, Hey, just put a mask on your face and good luck to you. Um, and the, the, other aspect that we didn't cover, but it would popped up in my news feed is that the Ontario government announced as well uh, that the daycares are going to be returning J uh, September 1st to full capacity registration, which again is, is a, it's a scary notion to some parents is that we just seem to be kind of, there's no guidelines on restructuring how these places are going to operate it's just pretty much nope we're just going to go back to normal and good luck to you it seems to be the government policy and it comes back to the thing that i felt 
to an extent throughout the the opening up process that we made a decision as a society in March to to deliberately damage our economy uh, mm-hmm. to save lives. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's like this is going to hurt, but it, it's worth doing. Well, if it was worth doing in March, why is it not still worth doing now? Um, you know, the, the damage has been done to the economy to an extent. I mean, you totally get the pressure to go back to work. And I mean, most of us are working in some way now. Uh, I, think, I don't think there's, you know, well, they, we, are, they, we are going back to work and the economy is returning to something like normal. But, well, the, um, the, the big, I mean, everybody's comparing this to the fact that you can go to a restaurant that will have less than 50 people, in some cases far less because of social distancing guidelines. But, it, you know, we're, we're basically saying it's, it's we'd rather go to a restaurant and drink and eat and, and do that than take the time to make sure that our schools are are safe, they're equipped to handle uh, the, the complexities of this pandemic. And I just find that we're just not putting forward our best imagination on this. We're not, we're not, we're not getting the best and brightest in the room together to come up with some new inventive ideas to say, I, cause I, I like, I, I'm not an either or guy. I, I don't, I don't think we have to present, um, a case of, well, it's either the economy opens or, edu- or schools open. I think we can have both. The problem is to do both safely we need to invest time, resources, uh, and capital to make it happen. And that seems to be something that this government, for whatever reason, whether it's a, a hubris or ideology or, or just they don't want to spend the money, just doesn't seem to be wanting to, to do that. And if the primary motivation, which is the suspicion is, the primary motivation here is economic, about allowing parents to go back to work, then surely that's worth the investment to do it right. Well, I'm trying I, to cheap out on it. I just don't understand how like, the federal government has chipped in billions upon, if not trillions of dollars. I don't know the exact number off the top of my head, but I mean, we're talking like huge, huge deficits, record breaking deficits. And I have not heard one person say, well, that was a waste of money. Oh, that, you know, that was a really boneheaded government plan. Everybody understands you needed to do that to save lives, to keep people safe, to keep an economy on literally on life support um and and, yeah it's a it's a it's nobody asked for this nobody asked for it nobody nobody's blaming government for saying oh why didn't you know why didn't you have a couple trillion dollars sitting in the in a rainy day fund for this nobody saw this coming so nobody's blaming anybody for spending that money but i think the fact is we're realizing if we want to make this get out of this safely we're going to have to spend money we're going to have to start coming up with a new uh an inventive approaches to these problems it's 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 becoming clear to me at least that we're getting back to normal is not necessarily an option we need to find a new way of sending our kids back to school to get the economy going and i think we just need to start we we need to start asking different people and again going to more as cindy said in, in her interview getting more people at the table and asking different people to uh to sit down and just see what see what ideas work Yep, absolutely. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that all this pans out and whether this the plan that was announced is actually the plan that happens in four weeks' time. Uh, I, well, I mean, this is uh, something that we're going to stay on top of. Uh, this is clearly not gonna, the end uh, end of the discussion. Uh, we did ask 
uh, both chairs of the Halton Catholic and the Halton Public Boards to come on. Uh, both have indicated that they're interested in doing so, but they wanted to take time to look at their numbers and to examine what their boards can do, which we thought was understandable. So we have the open invitation to them to come on, and we hope that they'll take it up in a few weeks' time. Uh, but I th and I think we'll be revisiting this again once the schools actually open and we see how this how this plan unfolds. Absolutely. Well, okay. Well, thanks, uh, Joel, again for for your partners this week. And uh, just a reminder to everybody that uh, this is going to be a weekly podcast. Um, we're planning Tuesday will be the day when it comes out every week. Um, you can uh, send us your feedback, your corrections, your your outraged uh, disagreement, whatever you like, uh, to us by email at info at 905.ca. Uh, we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash 905.ca. Uh, we're on Twitter at the underscore 905. And we have a website, which is 905.ca, that will shortly have um, the archive of the episodes you better go there and, uh, and subscribe and get notified of, of uh, new episodes um, for those of you who usually are more used to using um, iTunes or Spotify um, we're going to be on there in a, in a few weeks it takes a little while but uh, but we're working on it so you should be able to um, get sort of automatically updated on uh, new episodes as they come out and in future weeks, we're going to have uh, a bunch of interesting stories hopefully coming up. Um, and uh, make sure you tune in every week to the 905er. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on blasttheradio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's blasttheradio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter.